0: On the evening of Sunday, November 5th, 2017, Valerie Plant stepped to the lectern at the Corona Theatre after making history. Addressing the crowd of Projet Montréal volunteers and supporters, Plant offered reassurances to the city's business community.
1: To my friends in the business community, Montreal is open for business. (laughs) Yes, it is.
0: She spoke about the importance of respecting municipal workers.
1: To all of you working at the city, I will always ask you to give your best, to give Montrealers the best services they deserve for the taxes they pay. I know we will, get, we will have to negotiate a, a collective agreement in the months to come, and I think we can negotiate, negotiate respectfully and in the best interest of all.
0: And made a call to unity in a city clearly divided by demographics.
1: The francophone, the anglophone, and allophone communities of Montreal have more in common than what many people want us to believe. Let that be a lesson. We made history together, we did it together.
0: Plant had made history, becoming the first female mayor in Montreal's 375-year history. Her path to the mayor's office started at a junction in the history of her party, Parti Montréal, which had served as the center-left conscience of City Hall for nearly a decade. She helped to transform the party and turn it into an electoral force that was primed and ready for the 2017 municipal election.
1: Well, I mean, since I started my political career, I've always been the underdog. But every single time I've been, you know, standing strong, Uh, I've been able to surround myself with qualified people that are able to push me forward. So, it's okay. I'm okay with that, but now here I am. And people decided to give me their trust, so it's fantastic.
0: Seven months later, Researchers from across Canada gathered at McGill University to consider the impact of Plant's victory and the political situation in the province's capital, Quebec City, where incumbent mayor Regis Le was able to fend off challenges from both the left and the right. Here today are reflections on the Montreal Municipal Elections of 2017 and the complex, dynamic, and entirely unique municipal scene in Quebec. In considering gender, nationalism, and split ticket voting, We reflect on the changing nature of local politics in Montreal and Quebec City and try to understand what the future holds. I'm Chris Earle, and this is the CSDC Podcast. As Plant noted on election night, she's always been the underdog. Her victory stunned the city's political establishment. Plant first got her start as a candidate for Projet Montréal, the city's progressive opposition party, which captured a strong majority on Montreal City Council that same night.
2: Did Valérie Plante win because she's a woman, or did Valérie Plante because she was the uh, candidate of Projet Montréal? And, And we're finding that it's probably the second.
0: That's Mireille Paquette.
2: I am Mireille Paquet. I'm an associate professor of political science at Concordia University. I'm also the holder of the Concordia University research chair in, on the new politics of immigration.
0: Mireille and her co-author, Erin Tolley from the University of Toronto, has studied Plant's victory in the context of gender and the unique political party situation in Montreal.
2: So the history of Valérie Plant is the history of the party.
0: And to understand the history of the party, you have to understand the deeper party history of Montreal. Though Projet Montréal only appeared on the municipal scene in 2004, many of its members and supporters have deep roots in what was Projet Montréal's ideological predecessor, the Montreal Citizens' Movement. Founded in 1973, the MCM was made up of a broad coalition of Montrealers—Anglophone New Democrats, sovereigntist members of the Parti Québécois, social activists, urbanists, environmentalists, and students. The MCM was organized to challenge one of Montreal's most controversial and easily recognizable mayors, Jean Drapeau.
3: Je suis infiniment heureux, non pas tellement d'avoir remporté la victoire, mais de l'avoir remportée comme elle m'est présentée aujourd'hui. On me confirme.
0: In the face of the juggernaut that was Drapeau's civic party, the MCM served as the most organized opposition party throughout the 1970s. And by the time Drapeau retired in 1986, the Montreal Citizens' Movement was ready to take power. For two terms up until 1994, the party governed the city, advancing a center-left platform before dramatically losing power fading on the civic scene and eventually merging with Union Montréal, the centrist party of former mayor, Gerard Tremblay. While not identical, bourgeois Montréal's lineage can be traced back to the groundwork done by the MCM.
3: Life is fun. Life is fun. And especially politics. Politics, because it's an opportunity to meet so many people, so different kind of people, and to learn. Before to come in politics, you think that you learn. That you know your city. Mm-hmm. That, that's not true. Just just go in politics, just knock on the door, just speak with people and you will discover how rich is Montreal.
0: Richard Bergeron was the founder and first leader of Projet Montréal. When he founded the party 15 years ago, Bergeron was creating an organization unlike any other political party at the local level in Quebec.
2: And a big thing about Projet Montréal was really pushing for public transit and for a long time it was seen as the tramway party, right? So, Richard Bergeron was a very col- colorful man, very typical of the kind of people, person that runs for mayor in Montreal and in other big cities as well. Um, and so, up until he decided to leave, um, the, um, the party was really associated with him.
0: Bergeron's departure came after the party's loss in the 2013 municipal elections. Bergeron-Montréal formed the official opposition to then-mayor Denis Coderre's self-named Equipe, or Team, which had been formed from the remnants of the political parties that began to crumble following the Charbonneau Commission, a provincial inquiry into municipal corruption that initiated a period of political instability preceding the 2013 vote. That commission led to the collapse of Union Montréal, and into the vacuum created by their absence, stepped Coderre. As Coderre only held a minority of seats on Montreal City Council, the mayor began to entice other party members to join his executive committee, which functioned as a kind of municipal cabinet. Most notably, his new ally was Richard Bergeron. After some time on the executive committee, Bergeron would leave the party he started to join Coderre's slate.
2: Um, After his departure, we uh, tend to see a period of reorganization. So we have uh, interim leader uh, Ferrandez, who was highly unpopular with voters, but very respected within the party.
0: Ferrandez is Luc Ferrandez, the borough mayor of the Plateau. This community, well-known across Canada as a hotbed of left-wing politics and urbanist ideals, had served as Projet-Montreal's beachhead in Montreal since its inception. Ferdinand, though, was a controversial figure, known for his fierce dedication to the urbanist principles of the party. As such, he often ran afoul of a broad spectrum of people in Montreal, from left-wing activists concerned with gentrification, to motorists worried about diminishing space for cars, to conservatives unhappy with the increased provision of services rather than a renewed focus on tax cuts and business incentives. But with Bergeron's departure, bruch began to reform itself again. No longer was it Richard Bergeron's Progressive Party, instead becoming a broad-based urbanist party, even more similar to its ideological predecessor, the MCM.
2: Uh, we can hypothesize, and once again, I want to put a lot of air quotes in what I'm saying, But we can hypothesize that this really reinforced a process of depersonalization of the party, because it was hard for the party to probably use Ferrandez as kind of the leading face of the party, so instead kind of focusing on the ideas and and, and what the party stands for.
0: Waiting in the wings was one of the party's most dynamic new leaders. In 2013, Roger Montréal nominated Valerie Plant to be one of its city council candidates. Plant sought election in the municipal district that covers the northern part of the city's gay village and the neighborhood of Saint-Marie. Her campaign was an uphill battle, as she faced off against Louise Herel, a longtime provincial politician who sought the office of mayor of Montreal in 2009. Despite Herel's extensive political machine and strong connection to the city's sovereigntist establishment, who had long dominated the area in which Plant was running, Plant scored an upset victory, beating RL by just 263 votes. And after Bergeron crossed the aisle, Plant narrowly defeated Rosemont Le Petit Petit councillor Guillaume Lavoie in Projet Montréal's 2016 leadership election. Another razor thin victory, but this time a chance to remake Projet Montréal into a well organized campaign machine capable of taking on Coderre. And winning,
2: and then with the election of Valérie Plante, uh, probably the scene was ripe for the emergence of a new face, for a more visible leader, and for more of a personality running.
0: And Valérie Plante assumed the leadership of a party that was not only unique in Montreal, but was, in many ways, unique in Canada.
2: Projet Montréal is not structured like a typical um, political party at the municipal level, level in Quebec and in Canada, so it's a party that has Um, a clear mission statement. It's a party that has a clear democratic structure. So not only is the party platform being voted uh, by all of its members, but there are writing associations that select candidates uh, at the local level. And that makes it very different than, let's say, Équipe Caudard and other parties.
0: And while this party structure is similar to that of the large parties at the federal and provincial levels in Canada, it was difficult for voters to draw comparisons between Plant and projet Montréal and other parties. This wasn't the case for her opponent, Denis Coderre, who is himself a former Liberal MP and Federal Cabinet Minister.
3: There was more ambiguity for Valérie Plante uh, compared to Denis Coderre, where it was clearly associated with the Liberal Party.
0: Jean-François Daoul, postdoctoral fellow at McGill University.
3: In fact, 60% of uh, voters uh, associated Coderre with the Liberal Party of Quebec, and uh, an even more, an even um, greater proportion of uh, voters identified him with the Liberal Party of Canada. In the case of Valérie Plante, we, we must first look at the proportion of don't know, of people who, who can't uh, tell, who do not know which, um, which party she would be associated with. And this proportion is much higher for Valérie Plante. It's 35%, more than one-third of voters we uh, were not able to associate Valérie Plante with the party. But the party that received the, the more association is Quebec Solidaire. So about 20% of people uh, thought that uh, Valérie Plante was a uh, Quebec Solidaire.
0: It was a campaign strategy of Coderre to try and tie Projet Montréal to other left wing forces in the province. Coderre tried to make the connection during an English language debate attempting to associate Plant with the Sovereignist Party, Quebec
4: Solidaire.
1: We need to talk about this right now. We cannot wait because this window is going to close in years. One of the
4: reasons why we have more money, including the blue line and the light rail train, is because of our administration too. I mean, our relationship. And our strength with the federal government and the provincial government is is, uh, is is you know is well known. But I'm not sure that except for or, or, uh, contact with Quebec solidaire, I don't know where they're going to get the money from the federal or the but provincial then, Paul, government. Do you, want, do you want to address that?
0: Yes. Jean-François Daube, in looking at the connections between nationalism and progressivism at the local level in Quebec, found similarities with how voters would parse the issues when voting at other levels.
3: Yeah, well, uh, this is uh, quite uh, common, I would say, in Quebec politics. Um, so it's a typical voter, or, or in that case, a, a candidate, uh, would be seen as being a nationalist or even sovereigntist, but uh, first and foremost, a leftist or a progressive, and uh, this is the case of um, uh, federal voters who identify as uh, as sovereigntists but will vote for the NDP because, yes, they support Quebec independence, but in other level uh, than the provincial level, which is where the secession could appear, could be done, sorry, um, they, uh, they, they are first and foremost uh, leftists.
0: So, when municipal voters were going to the polls, were they voting on sovereigntist or federalist issues, or were they voting on left wing or right wing politics?
3: What cleavage is more important? Is it the left right cleavage or is it the the, the, the national question? Mm-hmm. So, if we think in those terms, I would say that in Montreal, um, both cleavages were uh, as important. Um, both cleavages were about twelve uh, percent. Point. Uh, so when you uh, look at someone who um, who is very uh, opposed to Quebec sovereignty, uh, to someone who is very favorable, uh, that individual is 12 percentage point more likely to vote for Valérie Plante. And on the other end, when you look at someone who is um, at, who is uh, at the extreme left on the political spectrum. Compared to someone who has, is at the extreme right, it's it's also about 12 percentage point point uh, less likely um, to vote for Valérie Plante. So rightists are less likely to vote for Valérie Plante, and people who support uh, Quebec independence are more likely to vote for Valérie Plante. And of course, there is an interaction effect um, there uh, that is, uh, if I if I am a sovereignist and a leftist, I am more likely to vote for uh, Valérie Plante.
0: But tying a local party in Quebec to a particular ideology, or a federal or provincial party, is difficult, as the longevity of municipal parties and the way they operate is unique.
4: The, the parties at the municipal level in Quebec uh, are weird.
0: Charles Tessier, postdoctoral fellow in political science at McGill University.
4: We usually don't use these, these words to describe such parties, because in, in political science, partisanship has a really specific meaning. It's a it's an effective relationship, long-term thing. Uh, but parties at the municipal level usually exist f- for few. They, they are created by, by candidates themselves, and the party disappear when the candidates stop running for mayor. Uh, so there are very few uh, parties uh, that last longer than a few elections. So, so to start with, partisanship at the municipal level is weird.
0: That lack of affinity means that voters may consider strong personalities over parties. And that has the potential to cause a phenomenon called split-ticket voting.
4: First of all, split-ticket voting in general, it's when a voter chooses two, uh, two candidates from two different parties for two positions. For, so the, the best example for split-ticket will be in the US, when, when a voter votes for the president, a Republican president, for example, but a Democratic uh, House representative.
0: Though, from the available data, it doesn't seem that this was the case in Montreal or in Quebec City.
4: The first thing that is really interesting is that the rate, the split ticket rate is almost the same as anywhere else. So it's something roughly like something one in five voters split their tickets. Mm. And that's a rate that is observable pretty much in every other studies, at mm. national and sub-national level. The uh, split ticket rate was a little bit higher in Montreal than in Quebec City because we studied both cities. Uh but uh, yeah, th- that's comparable. So that's very interesting. Uh, the other thing is um, we included uh, we tried to include a, a, an ideological variable. So we tried to to test the strategic because the objective of the analysis was to was to test both both hypotheses. So is it strategic or is it uh, accidental? And we didn't find any any evidence for a uh, strategic uh, reason too. So 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 it's, From our point of view, with the data we have, uh, it is, it is accidental.
0: What about gender? What role did it play in the campaign? Plant's victory was historic, though the way it was addressed during the campaign spoke to the delicate balancing act the party played, trying to acknowledge the importance of Plant's gender, while simultaneously seeking to normalize the situation. Here again,
2: one of the things we say in the paper is that we hypothesize in a way that Projet Montréal tried to get ahead of the gender issue by framing uh, it as something that they knew but uh, wasn't that important, right? So this whole campaign presenting Montréal, uh, Valérie Plante as the man of the situation was kind of a nudge, right? Like it was humoristic. It also, I think, really tapped into... Um, very classical understanding of uh, that Quebecers have about like you know a strong woman from ABTB and and this whole thing um, and I think that allows them to kind of set the tone and the agenda um, and uh, for the rest of the campaign and um, very often Plan during the campaign would talk and criticize Denis Coderre because she would say that Denis Coderre keep referring to her, co, uh, her co-candidate, uh, Ferrandez, and kind of referring to a man. So she would often bring that up, and she would bring gender as something that Caudel was actually using negatively, as opposed to her being a
4: woman. Moi, je la montre, mon équipe. Elle oui, où, l'équipe, me dit regarde, euh, je sais pas, on cache-tu M. Ferrandez? Est-ce que M. Ferrandez pourrait nuire à votre campagne?
1: Absolument pas. Et encore une fois, je, je fais campagne là où j'ai des gains à faire. Je pense que c'est vraiment ça, l'essence du message.
0: Regardless of their highly subtle use of gender in the campaign, Mireille doesn't see a strong case in the data available for that impacting plant support. Still, plant selection did come at a time when women's issues were becoming important locally.
2: So the thing we can say for sure is that this was a good year, for uh, a good election for women running right Um, so a couple of things that contributed to that so um the female um council member in montreal mobilized quite a lot in the two years prior to the election to get uh parental leave so maternity leave um, which was not something that was available to them um and so uh that uh, had a lot of attention in the media and had really pushed for uh, more of a discussion about that. Changes were made, uh, including, you know, changing the rules, so allowing women to take some time off if they had a child, but also simple things like allowing women to breastfeed in city council, which was not allowed, and, and simple things like that. And there was a lot of mobilization by um, Quebec organizations, such as Union des Municipalités du Québec, to try to Educate women and to try to provide them with resources if they were interested in running So to kind of you know increase the pipeline basically or like fill up the pipeline Um, And a lot of activities also occurred at the Montreal level uh, when it comes to that so um, We see that it's you know, there is just that presence and I think that both parties were very conditioned of this changing normative context around who uh, Who should run and whether it would be important to have gender balance gender parity? But whether that translated into voting behavior, it's a really hard thing to say.
0: So while there's little evidence pointing to gender having a strong impact on the election results, it seems as though Plant's victory might simply be due to her running a stronger campaign.
2: There's also just the fact that Equipe Coder did not run a very effective campaign, right? And there's been a lot of people of the party since then that have come up in the media to talk about how disorganized the campaign was, how little information was provided to candidates. So there's just also a difference in that, right? Like maybe the story, and we're entertaining this idea, maybe the story is not that Valérie Plante won, but that instead Coder lost, right? And um, what's interesting in closing for us is that after the fact, gender was primed in the media as something that was important, right? So, oh, all of a sudden, this is the first uh, woman mayor, and this is a great achievement, don't get me wrong, and it's it's exciting, and there's so many good things that can come out of it, but was that really the thing that made it? It's hard to say.
0: But even if the hard data on the issue isn't there, Mireille knows from her own experience that the demographics of candidates are changing.
2: I mean, it's interesting, right, because I was involved in a lot of the work leading to uh, the change for paternal and and, and parental leave at the city of Montreal. And um, one of the things that we kept running into was a generational issue, right? So older women that had ran for council were not at all seeing this as an important thing, right? We're not seeing accommodation as being important. Um, And we realized that the reason why they did not see this as being important was that they decided to run much later in life. Right? So, they had decided that once their kids were older, they, will, they would run for office. And what we're seeing right now is that this seems to be changing and that a lot more women, younger, are entering into municipal politics, at least in Montreal, and are kind of pushing the structure and the boundaries.
0: Maybe in that case, we'll have to wait for the 2021 municipal election to see if gender becomes an important and notable factor for voters. But what then of Quebec City? Did voters perceive issues to be different in the capital, 250 kilometers to the northeast?
3: So uh, there are some differences uh, between um, simple uh, descriptive statistics of voters at the municipal level in Montreal and in Quebec. I would say that there are some major differences in terms of attitudes toward Quebec independence and polyidentification. identification. Uh, that is, uh, people in Quebec City Uh, Quebecers are uh, quite less um, supportive of uh, Quebec independence Um, and this is quite consistent with uh, the the literature from uh, what we could expect. So for party identification uh, there is um, more people who identify with the Coalition Avenir Quebec, the CAC in Quebec City, uh, compared to to Montreal. So for example, if I look at uh, the, the, the data, we can see that in Quebec City 30% of uh, voters identify with the CAC while it, this disproportion uh, is only 11% in Montreal. So it's uh, three times more people who identify with the CAC uh, in Quebec City. And in Montreal, the most striking result uh, is at the federal level where um, the Conservative, uh have much more support in Quebec City. In fact, 33%, one-third of people in Quebec City identify with the Conserv- Conservative Party of Canada, while this, is, this proportion uh, lowers down to uh, 8% in Montreal. So to sum up the differences in terms of uh, voters' attitudes, I would say that, simply put that, uh, Quebec is less supportive of Quebec independence and that um, Conservative parties Uh, do better in Quebec City.
0: Voters in Quebec City also had a clearer idea as to who the candidates were and where they stood politically.
3: This was especially true for uh, Gosselin, the most important challenger uh, of the incumbent, Regis Labon. Uh, So Gosselin was clearly perceived as a rightist candidate. Um, At the provincial level, he was identified with the CAC. And uh, at the federal level, it was identified with um, the Conservative Party of Canada. So clearly, there was no ambiguity for Gusling.
0: The issues in Quebec City were notably different, with candidates focusing on mobility, though not on public transit, rather on better facilitating car traffic.
4: Especially interesting uh, with Gusling in Quebec, because I, I lived in Quebec City for five years, because I, I did my PhD there, and Gosling is a really uh, particular Candidate because he exists. This candidate exists for the sole purpose of a third link in in the in the city. So the, the there's two bridge for the moment that link Quebec with its uh, its borough, uh, South Shore, and they they really want a third bridge because it's there's congestion problem like a crazy consistent problem in the on this in the city. And this candidate exists for the sole purpose of this issue, and it was backed up by the radio there with the, the very powerful Quebec radio. So it is a really weird candidate and with a very strong partisan following. But that's the thing. These things that you're talking about, this ideological uh, side of, of their campaign, they should be uh, captured when we... When we, when we, when we take into account partisanship strength. This should be captured in this, but it's it seems that it doesn't, it, it's not. So honestly, it's it's the, the the biggest mystery about all these results is why is these two candidates, you probably hit an interesting point. These are the two most ideological candidates, um, but I really don't know why. I, I, I can't draw a line between like this phenomenon of split ticket and their ideological background, given the fact that we control, we take into account in the analysis already, these factors.
0: What's clear from the 2017 municipal elections in Quebec City and Montreal is that there is very little clarity overall. Was Valerie Plant's victory thanks to Projet Montréal's long, slow, effective climb from progressive opposition to a government-in-waiting? Or was it thanks to the poor performance of the Nicodère's party? Was gender an issue at the forefront of everyone's mind? Or was Plant's strategic promotion of a holistic, urbanist vision for Montreal what stuck in the minds of voters? Did people split their tickets because they trusted their local councillor, but not a party's mayoral candidate? Or did people simply fall back on existing perceptions of municipal government? But where there are questions, there are eager researchers ready to crunch data, interview sources, and develop innovative new theories to bring us more clarity. Thanks to Mireille, Jean-François, and Charles for their insights, and for all of us here at the CSDC, thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next time. I'm Chris Earle, signing off on this edition of the CSDC Podcast.